last week on the top of the show, I was super excited because the Lions won their first playoff game in my lifetime. And now I got to say they won their second playoff game in my lifetime. Let's go. I know I, I know you guys are here for the spooky. I know you guys are here for the horror. You're not here for the sports ball, but you know, I'm a I'm a Detroiter, so it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And the Lions are still playing football in January. I'm not used to it, guys. I'm not used to it. But what I am used to is coming home every two months to have a beautiful surprise of the latest Fangoria in my mailbox. That's right. One of the premier brands in horror. Fangoria has been delivering quality magazines since 1979. Each collectible issue features exclusive articles about your favorite monsters as well as up-and-coming terrors. And, you know, you got to be sure to check out the Fangoria store website for subscriptions and a bunch of cool merch. While you're there, use promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. That's right, 20% off your entire order. Applies to subscription and one-time orders. Applies to the first subscription order only. Now, it's time for an episode that I think goes a little out of this world. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're going to need a bigger boat. Be my victim. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I am joined by the vocalist and guitarist for the rock band Observe the 93rd. They just released a new album, Eternalism. Please welcome Derek Henry. How's it going? <laughs> it is going great. I'm super excited because the movie you picked to talk about today is... I think a gem of horror films from last year, the pretty much dialogue free science fiction, alien invasion, home invasion, horror movie. No one will save you, which I am a big fan of. I'm excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, I want to talk about Observe the 93rd a little bit. You guys just okay. released an album. Yes. Just released an album called Eternalism. We had uh, we released it on December 15th and we waited a couple weeks to do the release show, which was on December 30th, New Year's Eve Eve. So if you think about <laughs> that, that's kind of the dumbest day to do a show <laughs> because everybody's already planning on going out New Year's Eve. But it kind of filtered out a bunch of the people that would go as a favor and it was only people that really wanted to be there so it was kind of nice actually and then also since there was a couple weeks between the album being released and the release show people could listen to it and some people showed up knowing words and stuff so that was nice it was really fun that's one of my favorite shows we've ever played actually it was at this place called xl live in harrisburg that's awesome so for listeners who might have not heard observe the 93rd yet how would you describe your musical style this is always tough because I feel like our songs are pretty eclectic <laughs> from track to track. And that's one thing, like anytime we have been shopped around to labels at all, the response that we've always gotten was, we don't exactly know who to market you to because every song is so different. And that's, you know, I, I think that that comes with if you take it by a 
on a song by song basis when you're creating. So it's just kind of driven by whatever emotion is behind the song from track to track, as opposed to trying to fit under this broad umbrella, which a lot of people do. And that's not wrong, but they're mm. like, this is the kind of band we are. We want to sound like this. We don't care about that. Just yeah. whatever the emotion is supposed to be, whatever the song wants to be is what it will become. So, but if I had to <laughs> try and narrow it down, for people, I would say alternative rock because it's a pretty broad term. That is fair. That is very, a lot of stuff, a lot of musical influences and techniques can be umbrellaed under alternative. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, it, it's funny, though. I just thought about this while you were saying that. Someone messaged me a couple of days ago. There's really a nice message about them listening to the album and it resonated with them. And they said they show our music to their friends and the type of genre they call us is gothic glam rock, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> That is cool. You don't really. Yeah, I was like, uh, I'll take that. Yeah. And you don't really hear those two like types of musics thrown together like that. Oh, never. <laughs> I've never heard that. I was like, I'm pretty sure she just made that up and I kind of love it. So I'll take that too. Gothic glam rock. <laughs> <laughs> if you're being called gothic glam rock, you know you're doing something right because that's a whole bunch of different musical influences and i feel like all of the great musicians they like all different kinds of music oh for sure yeah i mean that's something funny i've noticed about all my favorite artists growing up is I, i've always been very interested to learn as much as i can about the people that inspire me creatively and you'll always find they listen to stuff that they sound nothing like like their <laughs> inspirations you would never guess you're like whoa they listen to i don't know like heavy bands that you listen to and they're like we love the beatles i'm like whoa yeah. <laughs> and the beatles are one of my favorite bands too but that kind of seems to be one of the most common through lines in any artist is they're like Love the Beatles. I always think of, because I'm a big fan of Dave Grohl. So like, I mean, Foo Fighters, Nirvana. He's pretty I easy to be a easy to be a fan of. <laughs> yeah. But, I uh, oh, yeah. But I saw him, I think it was on, on Jimmy Fallon. And he's like wearing an ABBA shirt. He's like, yeah, I love ABBA. Who doesn't like ABBA? I'm like, that's true. I also love ABBA. <laughs> But nobody would guess that you love ABBA, Dave Grohl. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I'm a I'm a big fan of Slash as a guitar player. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm really going for the obscure people right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love I love Slash. And I like you. I would like go in and see like what influenced them. And like with Slash, it's like he's a huge fan of Aerosmith. And I think about like Guns N' Roses stuff. I'm like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect I, sense. And then I like, like Aerosmith too. Yeah, um, they happen to be my favorite rock and roll band. So I'm like, I have the same taste as Slash. But uh... <laughs> you know what's, what's funny about yeah. Aerosmith is I, I feel like I haven't really gone through their discography like song to song or sat and listened to their albums mm -hmm. at length. But I don't want to miss a thing and dream on are like two of my favorite songs of all time in general. I mean, when I hear I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, that hits me at a soul level every single time I hear it. Love that I, song. I It's amazing how Aerosmith just, in my opinion at least, they just write some of the best, like most heartfelt 
power ballads and like yeah and yeah. voice is amazing i mean i, I don't oh. know how old he is 70 yeah he's i i know he's in his 70s virtuosic singer uh he recently tore his throat or something so i'm hoping he recovers yeah, from that, that. He soon like yeah oh. he hemorrhaged his vocal cords yeah that's Oh, that's a nasty injury to think about. But I'm wishing him well. I was disappointed because I had tickets to go see him when they came to Little Caesars Arena. But obviously that got postponed um, yeah. indefinitely. And I get it. Take care of your voice. You don't want to. If he injures himself and he hasn't recovered fully, like he might never sing again. And I don't want that. I can wait. <laughs> oh my god yeah absolutely that's the thing about singing and mm -hmm. vocals as an instrument is they're so everybody's so specific and individual with their durability of their instrument i mean because some people can sit there and chain smoke and drink bourbon and they <laughs> yeah. sound like a bird and and they're fine and they can do that for years on end and there's people like me who if i'm even in a smoky room my vocals are sensitive to it i mean i'll i'll sing lesser than i would at another place i need to i really need to maintain them like and be conscious of everything i'm eating how hydrated i am mine are very finicky and then there's other people i meet who theirs aren't nearly as sensitive so and for him i'm sure a lot of it is just the age thing because he's right. been doing it forever and he sounds amazing and uh, like he does it right but at his age he might need to elevate the maintenance level or take more breaks, like less shows, more breaks in between shows. He's amazing. Especially especially because the stuff he's singing is really hard stuff to sing. And it's God. hard on your throat. I mean, Dream On, we're just talking about. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. So I always think of yeah, back in the saddle. He goes to the peak of his, <laughs> in, in many songs. I'm back in the saddle again. Oh man, classic. Yeah, like, they nicknamed him the demon of screaming for a reason. <laughs> I'd never heard that. Like I said, I'm huge, huge into Aerosmith. They are my number one band. They are like, there's only two bands I've actually listened to all of their albums. And it's them and then uh, Black Sabbath. I love Black Sabbath, man. Black so I absolutely grew up listening to Black Sabbath like crazy. You know what's funny is yeah. whenever I first started getting into music, Two albums I remember wanting were I wanted whatever album had Iron Man on it. That's what I said as a kid. I know that that's yep. paranormal now. But I was like, <laughs> I want whatever album has that song on it. And then I wanted whatever album had Lose Yourself by Eminem on it. <laughs> which which is I, I i'm i think that was on an actual album too but what i, I ended think, up getting was an eight mile soundtrack yeah which is funny because before we started recording we were talking about you being detroit. from pennsylvania i'm being from detroit and we're talking like musicians from detroit I'm like eminem we're talking about him again <laughs> yeah yep, yep. and what i would do is i would have like a walkman with a yeah. cd in it and i would put it in my hoodie pocket and have my headphones on and skate around like music was so essential to skateboarding for me and because skateboarding was my life i mean i would wake up mm -hmm. an hour or two before the school bus came just so i could skate before the bus came and i remember just playing those albums on repeat while i would skateboard and then i started taking my six disc cd changer and i would put it up to my window and i would skateboard out in the street with my stereo blasting the cd player blasting that's awesome it's fun i love how like when you first started getting into music it was eminem and sabbath 
And when I first started getting into music, because I don't I don't really play professionally, but I I mean, I got my guitars like I play as a hobby. I played trumpet for a very long time. Oh, yeah. I was, I was in like the Spartan marching band. So like I I had a fair level of success with trumpet, but I just play music just for fun now but when i was first getting into music my mom my mom's the one that introduced me to like rock and she really influenced my tastes and i was a big fucking nerd growing up so she got me into rock because she's like there's this song iron man because i know you like the comic book here and this was before the movie so that's like nerd <laughs> shit yeah oh, robert yeah. downey jr wasn't tony stark yet so iron man was not cool at did this you watch point. the cartoon Iron Man? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know there was a... I, I, I watched watch X-Men and Spider-Man, but I never found Iron Man. I would have if I found it. <laughs> it, it. But it's not It's not that. It's like the cartoon movie isn't the superhero. It's, it's pretty much the same story, the same plot as what's being spoken about in the song Iron Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But and I remember wanting to watch that because I thought the song would be in the movie, and the song was never in the movie. I was like, "What the heck?" That's funny. Ooh, yeah, it came out around the same time though that I was getting into Black Sabbath. Oh, I totally missed. I gotta. I'm gonna find that because I want to watch that now. <laughs> I, it might have a longer name. Let me see now because that's gonna drive me crazy. Maybe it's not <laughs> called Iron Man. Well, while you're looking that up, the other song that my mom got me into rock and roll and what led me to start playing guitar was blue oyster cults godzilla oh wow <laughs> that's a great riff that is a for great riff for obvious reasons i was a godzilla fan growing up so same <laughs> so as so soon as my mom that, the, the one i go ahead oh i was just gonna say as soon as my mom showed me blue oyster cults godzilla and black sabbath iron man i was like oh i'm gonna be I'm going to be a hard rock kid. Okay. This is going to define my music taste for the rest of my <laughs> life. <laughs> hey, that's fair. That movie, by the way, it was called the iron giant. Oh, so I've seen of. the, I've seen the iron giant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I okay. thought the, and I thought the song iron man would be in that. So I was like, Oh my God, I gotta watch this movie. <laughs> oh, that is a beautiful movie. I love the iron giant. Isn't it funny how the plot of that movie is so similar to the lyrics of Iron Man, though? Yeah, like kind of. Yeah. Giant iron thing, a creature. And then, like, people didn't love him. And then at one point, you know, they antagonize the Iron Giant and activate his weapon system. So, like, he turns on the people. And it's not until, like, the little boy has the E.T. moment and the Iron Giant's like, oh, I am actually a good person. So it differs from the sound from the song in that respect at the end. Right, yeah. But the yeah, ending, I do see they the... made more kid-friendly. But everything else leading up to that sounds like a description of the song's lyrics. I see that. I've never made that connection until now. And now I'll never unmake it. <laughs> Perfect. But while we're... Uh, Still on the topic of Sabbath, because uh, I fucking love Black Sabbath. I was watching a, one of the NFL playoff games the other day. I think it was Miami Chiefs. And it's a boring game. Chiefs are, like, winning, and Miami's not doing anything. But whatever. I'm, I'm editing the podcast. I have some football on. I'm not really paying attention. All of a sudden, they start blasting Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. Nice. I was like, okay, okay. 
I'm jamming now. <laughs> You're like, I'm back in it. You I'm drew back, me in, back it. in Exactly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, so here's a question. Do you prefer yeah. Black Sabbath with Ozzy or with Dio? That's a really hard question because I love both. So I'm not going to yeah. use my brain. I'm going to use my heart. My heart says Ozzy Sabbath. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I've always had this clear distinction in my taste where I can acknowledge that someone is technically superior, which I think Dio was technically a much better singer than Ozzy. But that doesn't, that's that's not what I'm looking for, I guess, ultimately. Like Ozzy's voice has an emotional quality to it that the stuff that he sings for Sabbath, I'm like, that's that's what I'm going to listen to. I'll listen to Dio's solo stuff. But every time I hear him with Sabbath, I can't help but think, oh, I wish Ozzy was singing this. Which I hate to say because he Dio was legendary but yeah. well it's uh, it's funny that like something it's it's funny because we are in exact agreement mostly because i agree dio is a much better singer uh-huh. than ozzy but i prefer ozzy i think ozzy just has something about it's an intangible and like he just the stuff he did with sabbath is legendary and um i don't think the stuff sabbath did with dio is as strong and um, their best work with Dio, which I think is like Heaven and Hell. And I think The Mob Rules is a banger. But a handful of those songs I think are legitimately great. But like, in my opinion, nothing stacks up to the album Paranoid. I think that is Black Sabbath yeah. at their peak. Yeah, it, it just that's it sounds like that's Black Sabbath. When you hear Ozzy on the song, it's like that is Black Sabbath. Like there's magic happening. There's something. Yeah. And then aura created around it that's like this is right this is what this it's supposed to be that's what the universe wants this to be <laughs> it's right. very authentic and deal with yeah. yeah i agree and deal with sab i really love deal with sabbath i do like that like them but it's almost like a different it's like when van halen had david lee roth and sammy hagar both are great but like they feel like different bands. Oh yeah, you know what the weird one is? Of well, first off, any band that is hugely successful like that and then changes their singer and it's still hugely successful—that's so mind-boggling. Because yeah, vocalists usually defines the sound of a band for the most part. But ACDC, I, I yeah, genuinely like it with Brian Johnson and Bon Scott like equally, and and it, and it doesn't sound like a wildly different band like for some reason their their voices are so different but i'm like that's acdc they both sound like what acdc is supposed to sound like strangely th- that's always I baffled th- me i think they're the only band that successfully transitioned from a front man because you're absolutely yeah, right it, it still fe- feels like ac like like roth van halen and um hagar van halen to me those are different bands even though like the the leaders of the band are still Eddie and Alex, uh, essentially. Right. But it, there's something, and obviously Sabbath, I feel, is very different with Dio to the point where they had like a reunion tour and they just called themselves Heaven and Hell. I'm like, actually, I like that a lot more because it does feel like a, and like yeah. when Rage Against the Machine went on break and then the three formed um, Audio Slave with uh, um, Chris Cornell. Yes, thank you. With Chris Cornell, I'm just, I'm so happy they just changed their name. It is still basically Rage Against the Mission, but it's such a different band. So different though. From 
like Audio Slave is so different sounding from Rage Against the Machine, even though it's three fourths the same. Music is just crazy like that. Particularly the singer, man. That yeah. whenever because I mean, it makes a lot of sense though when a lot of the emotional content of the song comes from the lyric execution melody and the words themselves when you take that away and replace it with something else that's going to massively change how that music hits you as a listener yeah and especially when you like listen to live albums of dio with black sabbath and you can tell he does not want to be singing paranoid (laughs) (laughs) paranoid was a filler song paranoid was a filler song because they didn't have enough songs for the album and they're like oh let's just throw this on there down 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 (laughs) all right great (laughs) like they that wasn't even going to be the album wasn't going to be called paranoid there was no paranoid and then they just were like oh we don't have enough songs let's throw this on it that's nuts (laughs) and i just love when an iconic band accidentally shits out like one of the greatest songs in rock and roll history (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, here's this one, too. Whatever. So nonchalantly. <laughs> I'm going to use Black Sabbath as a uh, transition point because they are the easiest band, I think, when you're talking about like rock and roll and you want to start talking about horror movies. Oh and we're God. already talking about Sabbath. We're there. Yep, we don't yep. have to go far. Especially the song Black Sabbath. That That sounds like a horror movie. It's such an evil riff. I think because because I'm sure you were the same way. We like dug into why that song sounds so evil. And I guess they use like it's called the tritone interval, which is like the devil's interval. (laughs) And now I hear that tritone in like all the horror movies because like it's a it's a big classical technique. And there's like a lot well, of tritone stuff in horror scores. Yeah. Something that horror films always do with their like soundscape and the score is they lean into dissonance, which metal bands also do, like creating tension through dissonance and then the release of that, which oh, I yeah. love. I love utilizing that in my own songwriting, like dissonant notes to build tension. So, okay. So use, using dissonance, what are some other ways that, horror films may have influenced your music either consciously or subconsciously? Uh, a really easy one is <laughs> on this album, but a lot on the last album, which was called An Eeriness to Everything. We we used a lot of soundscape things, like little, if, if you go to websites that are like freesounds.org, things like that, and you can just type in like, you want like atmospheric sounds or you want somebody like banging on a kettle or something that you don't readily have at your disposal, but you're like, maybe there's a sample of this on the internet. And I noticed that movies like specifically the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out in 2004 with Jessica Biel, which is one of my favorite horror films. They had these sounds throughout the entire movie that sounds like metal screeching, like two pieces of metal just like being rammed together or something like grinding across the other and that's exactly what the sound is it's metal scraping sound so we use that in parts of the last album even one song the bridge of zimbabwe on eternalism has Mm -hmm. some metal screeching sounds and that comes from horror film scores (laughs) that's awesome but yeah back to metal screeches and dissonance and horror 
horror tech horror score techniques in rock and roll, which I think is a which I think is a really fun uh fun thing to get into. Do you have a favorite sound effect from a horror movie? God, there's probably so many. Uh, so I definitely like the strange noises going on in that Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out in 2004. I really, really like that. Yeah. Let me let me try and think about this. Yeah, I caught you off guard with a really large question. No, 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 that's okay. Because I want, I just want to make sure I'm specific about it. Because yeah. that's something not just with horror films, but in general that I really like. I like movie scores. I, I mean, I'll sit and listen to movie scores, Hans Zimmer stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I love the score of the original Halloween. That's not like oh, a yeah. sound effect, but absolutely love that. That's incredible. Always got to give love to John Carpenter. The only one that's really coming to mind for me is that Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the the like metal screeching. I think you know something else that I think they use in that movie is like broken violins and things like that, and they'll like do a scrape against this like mm-hmm. broken violin string. There's so many cool sounds in that movie. I love it. Yeah, I know there's movies that have awesome sounds like that. It's just none. Are, I'm blanking right now. I was like, does Blair Witch Project have any? I'm like, no, because it doesn't have a score. It's just like found footage. Well, like the birds, um, the birds doesn't have a score, but it has like all those bird sound effects. And it's like that. I, I, I'm not a bird. I can't make the sound. But um, you know what I mean? Like it has that iconic sound track, but it's not a oh, score. Yeah, a cool sound. And I guess you could, I don't know if you would call this a horror film, but you maybe you could. War of the Worlds. <gasps> I was going to say that. Yeah, that crazy sound. And we absolutely use that as a reference for the song, <laughs> Go Ahead. We uh-huh. do these punches in the chorus where Dylan, the drummer, will hit the crash. And I'm hitting, me and the bassist are hitting the chorus like, down, down. Down, 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 down. And on those punches, we tried to put these huge, like, what were the sounds that we combined to try and get that War of the World sound? It was a didgeridoo that was put down like an octave. Mm-hmm. And then I think we put a tuba on there to and an 808. And that was oh. us trying to get the world, War of the World sound. So that that's a good one. I love that sound effect. I was uh, I had it in my back pocket uh, if you were going <laughs> to ask me the same thing. Because uh, I do okay. agree, for whatever reason, War of the Worlds is like on that is it or isn't it in terms of being horror. And I get why some people wouldn't think of it as an horror as a horror movie. So I get it. But at the same time, I got to see that in theaters when I was 10. And it oh was my God, I saw it in theaters too, man. It was a horror movie for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. When did that movie come out? What year? Uh, 2005. 2005. Okay, so I would have been like 13. I'm never going to forget that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in theaters too. And I remember the sound striking me immediately. I was like, whoa. I, I mean, in the theater, it yeah. was visceral. It rumbled the entire theater. Oh, it really did. And I, I hope it gets a, like a theatrical re-release soon. Because oh, I would amazing. love to re... I would love to hear that soundtrack. Or, yeah, those sound effects again. In a theater, yeah. Yeah. That would be sick. I saw Godzilla minus one in IMAX. 
Okay, and every time Godzilla that? that must have been crazy the noises that Godzilla makes. I mean, speaking of iconic sound effects, yeah. <laughs> Godzilla's booming roar in uh IMAX awesome and they did like the classic Godzilla score um at certain points. So it was really cool to be in the IMAX and they're blasting like that. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It said, was amazing. What? The Godzilla that I grew up watching was on an old VHS tape and it was black and white. It looked like it was from the 40s or something. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I'm 80% certain you're talking about the original. That's the original one? Yeah, it was really, really old. Um, it did, does, like, didn't look like the one that came out in the early 2000s. Right. That was in the water and stuff. It didn't. I mean, they all come from the water, but that one specifically, <laughs> like it was centered around the ocean, whereas the one I'm thinking of was centered around a city in Japan, oh, probably Tokyo. But no, yeah, it was like it just looked like a puppet and it was black and white. I'm pretty sure you're talking about the original because uh, there's only two Godzilla movies in black and white and they were both. So the original came out in 54, which very close with the 40s. OK, yeah, that sounds right. 54. Yeah. So it, it does look like a 40s movie. And then they had like a really quick sequel, I think came out in 57 called Godzilla Raids Again. Um, but that one had another monster in it called Anguirus. So okay, I think I've I seen that one too. But I don't think that one was as accessible on VHS. Okay. I think, I feel like I remember seeing one that had multiple creatures. Then it Godzilla might be that one. Godzilla and something else. Is there, there is there one with like Godzilla and then a robot? Oh, there's a lot of them with Godzilla and a robot. There's Mecha Godzilla. There's Mecha Godzilla 2. There's Jet Jaguar. There's Mogira. There's Mecha King Ghidorah. There's Mecha Godzilla 3. I'm there's a lot of robots well. in the Godzilla world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not well versed in Godzilla, but I, I respect that. <laughs> I got you. I got oh, you. Man. When I said Godzilla was the one that got me into rock and roll, I meant it. <laughs> yeah, you're not messing around. That's so but, cool. But um, speaking of like really great sound effects in horror movies, I think it's time to talk about a film which has a lot of great sounds. And sound is like super crucial to the success of this film. And it's last year's No One Will Save You. Absolutely. Super and, cool. And people listening, if you haven't seen it, I would urge you to pause this, watch the movie, and then come back, because we're probably going to talk about spoilers. I think this movie's recent enough where not everyone has seen it yet. It's only been out for a couple months, so yeah, it's not like I'm talking about Psycho, which I'm sorry, at this point, you probably should have seen Psycho. Or, or Sixth Sense. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly, which I don't... I'm pretty sure that was spoiled for me before I saw The Sixth Sense just because it's pop culture. <laughs> oh, man, I was lucky. I, I had no clue that was coming whenever I watched it. Luckily, that movie's still like a masterpiece. Oh, it's so That's a great film. I think The Blair Witch Project still holds up really well, too, which was surprising to me when I watched it recently. I was like, oh, my God, this is still amazing. I have not seen that film in a long time, but I believe it. That is the greatest found footage movie ever made. Oh I don't God, think there's amazing. and I, I don't think there's much competition to be I'm there's there's good ones. I'm I'll always be a little partial to paranormal activity. 
<laughs> yeah, paranormal activity is cool. Then there's what is there like Cloverfield kind of does I that. I love Cloverfield. Okay. Also, a lot yeah. of great sounds in that. <laughs> I like. Oh, the, you know what else is cool? Sorry, I know we're trying to get on to no one will save you, but you're good. I love whenever there's just that atmospheric kind of buzz going on. Like there's you can't really pinpoint what the sound is, but just that strange ambient drone. Yeah. And then whenever something happens, there's like this crazy swell. And then like, I, I don't I, God, how do, whenever I go to these sound websites, they I forget what they call it, but it's just like a movement will happen. And there's this crazy jarring sound in the middle of this droning. So the droning is just kind of persisting and keeping you on edge. And you're like, what is about to happen? And then you'll like see something turn around a corner. And it's like this really sharp, spastic sound. I love yeah. that stuff too. We'll use that technique where like a verse is happening. And whenever it's about to build into a chorus on the downbeat, we'll put like one of those crazy jarring sounds for the impact. That's awesome. Anyways. Back to no one will save you. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, no one will save you is really unique in the fact that there is pretty much no dialogue at all. Yeah, it, it took me the longest time to realize that in the middle of watching because I was it, it takes off pretty quickly. Like the tempo, there's a little bit of kind of just getting your bearing in the beginning and then it's right into it it's right into the action and you get swept up into that the momentum of it so quickly that i mean i feel like i was two-thirds of the way through the movie and i was like wait a second there hasn't been any dialogue whatsoever <laughs> there hasn't been any there's a phrase has not been uttered it's funny because uh i do have to admit i did know of the no dialogue gimmick going into it so that didn't surprise me, but I do okay. really appreciate that it didn't really advertise that. I just happened to listen to like an interview with, I think, the filmmaker right before I watched it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's a good thing I happen to be I'm planning on watching it tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. Probably should have waited to listen to the interview, but you know how it be. <laughs> uh, yeah, That's fun sometimes, though, to switch it up, whether you kind of dive into the details and the intention behind a film or even an album or any creative endeavor. If you dive into it before you actually watch it or listen to it or whatever it is, that's fun to experiment with, like seeing how it hits you. Um, specifically, yeah. there was a film that I, I had like two lives with. <laughs> uh, the film I'm Still Here by Joaquin Phoenix, where... That's whenever he was, everybody thought he was going crazy and he had that beard and he said he was quitting acting and becoming a hip hop artist. And he went on David Letterman and I remember was that. acting bizarrely. Yeah, it was for a mockumentary. And when I was watching it the first time, I was like, oh my God, this is real. Like it, it seems very authentic and genuine. And then I realized it wasn't real. And there was a version that you could watch of I'm Still Here with commentary from the director, which was Casey Anthony, and then Walking Phoenix. And they're talking about all the details and like how everything was set up and the intention behind everything. And then you watch the movie again. It's like watching a completely different movie. It's yeah. like you approach it so differently. So that's kind of cool to experiment whenever you're taking in art for the first time. It's like go into it completely blind. And then other times go into it with a ton of background 
like both of those approaches are really interesting yeah i just rambled on about absolutely you... nothing <laughs> that's how this show works man people who listen to this show every week they're like we're we're used to it we like that's why we're here <laughs> uh we love oh, our tangents perfect. on this show and they're in love yes <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we get to like the fun stuff you know the stuff that we weren't expecting to talk about the episode i just True. released we're talking about horror books of 2023 yeah we went on a huge tangent about galaxy's edge at fucking disney world <laughs> i haven't even been there <laughs> i love that i love that <laughs> i i want to i'm a huge star wars nerd but one day one day i'll i'll be able to go, go yeah, i've never been to, to a galaxy far far away <laughs> hey literally so, yep. someday someday but um <laughs> with uh, no one will save you i i do appreciate how they introduce the aliens really quickly yeah you know something they did really well in this movie as soon as they introduce the alien so that you first see the alien when she's at the top of her steps Bryn, mm -hmm. the main character, and she notices in the middle of the night her door is left askew, and then she sees a shadow out the windows, and it's just this figure kind of moving along very sluggishly, slowly, and then out of nowhere, it, it hears a creak from her foot, and it just like scatters, and you yeah. can hear the footsteps so clearly, like, doo -doo 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 -doo. that's such a great horror tactic, where the viewer is sitting there wondering what the capabilities of this entity are and then you see that it's fast and that's horrifying it's kind of like zombies like in 28 days later whenever you see how fast mm. you're like oh, that's terrifying that's that moment in this movie really you're like okay what is this thing like what's its intentions what are its capabilities oh it's really fast <laughs> that's not good so that i thought was utilized really well and right out of the gate so that just makes you super anxious it reminds me of like if when you're just chilling at home and you see see like a spider in the corner, so you go to like kill it and it's just like chilling. But when you go to kill it, it just starts and then you piss yourself yeah. a little bit and uh and yes. and you can't fall asleep because you don't know where the spider went. I'm I'm not talking from personal experience. Oh no no not at all. <laughs> not at all. I have a lot of nightmares like that where i'll see something strange like some strange creature in the darkness and as soon as it catches a glimpse of me or becomes aware of me it just charges directly at me like very quickly and then i wake up there's a an instagram account that makes these little horror shorts called lights are out i don't know if okay. you follow no, I'm 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 about to. And that's something I've noticed they always do in their clips too. It'll be like a voyeuristic view, like somebody watching something secretly, and then that it whatever the monster is becomes aware of them and immediately like charges after them. There is I something terrifying. There's <laughs> something so creepy and I think universal about that because I've had those kind of nightmares and I don't dream too often or I mean, I don't remember my dreams too often. But when I do, it's usually shit right, like yeah. that. I can't, you know, remember the dreams where I win the lottery I... or anything like that. No, <laughs> no, my dreams are either extraordinarily horrifying 
or at the bare minimum unsettling. Oh no. <laughs> like always. I always remember them. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have weird dreams. But there is something just kind of terrifying of like a creature or a being you don't know what it's capable of and then it just darts or it just like looks at you and no one will save you does that really well at a lot of different points in that film because the aliens in it um there's like a mystery to them and i think the movie's really because we don't know why they're there or what their motivations are. And honestly, at the end of the movie, I still don't know what their motivations are. Not that it matters, but I I, I like alien movies like that. This was the most... The thing that stood out to me the most about this alien movie is I feel like usually by the end, you understand that there's this broader metaphor at play that mm-hmm. usually deals with something very existential and touching on the nature of reality and kind of questioning the nature of reality and where we might be headed in our understanding of existence in the future in our understanding of ourselves and I, I didn't think this movie was going for that at all it seemed much more like about the subjective internal experience like yeah by the end of this movie, I was like oh the aliens that doesn't even matter that's just the metaphor that they chose and the metaphor is working through your trauma like healing from the past so that you can be free from your own chains especially like like, yeah and especially like guilt-based trauma where yes brin caitlin deaver's character she uh, oh i said i said we're in spoiler territory when it was revealed (laughs) when it was revealed she killed her best friend with a rock yep I was like, oh, shit, that's heavy yeah. shit. Because like, and like, we're rooting for this character because she's our protagonist. And then you realize, oh, this is why no one likes her, because she is actually a murderer. But it's also like one of those things where it's like, it was just like a in the moment kids being kids, but not realizing. I'm going to say this as sensitively as possible. Kids are fucking dumb. <laughs> sensitively as possible kids have 12 and a half brain cells (laughs) yeah but i mean like they don't realize like they like kids can get so invested they don't realize they're like right they don't consider consequences they're very reactive in the moment right exactly like they're in a heated argument oh you push me down here's this rock you know right they don't the intention was of course not to kill her friend that was right. an emotional response that had an end result that they didn't even consider exactly and like because kids fight you know and sometimes kids use rocks like that's something based in reality oh yeah not that i've ever you know hit someone with a rock but i've seen plenty of stephen king movies <laughs> I grew up in a trailer park. There was lots of rock throwing. Okay. <laughs> I assure you that in fact that not all it's not only used as a means of revenge. Sometimes that's the only fun thing to do is to just throw <laughs> rocks at a dumpster or some shit. <laughs> hey, let's see who can hit that that light post. but like we were talking about scream a little bit earlier i don't remember if we were recording or not at this point but at the very end of scream 
when Matthew Lillard and Ski Ulrich's characters are like stabbing each other, they're still, they're teenagers. So they're still kids. They don't consider the consequences of pulling off a real life slasher movie. And then they start stabbing each other and they're like, ouch, this hurts. Yeah, you dumbasses. You're stabbing each other. Hold me too deep, man. But like that's Matthew so Lillard, so good in yeah. that movie, by the way. Brilliant, brilliant. But like, but that's Iconic. like the immaturity, you know what I mean, of those characters. Oh yeah, like especially Matthew Lillard's character. He's just such a dope, and he just gets swept up into. I, I like whenever he's on the phone, and he really becomes a child. He's like, yeah. "Are you really gonna call the police? You bet your ass." My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> like starts crying. Like, and yeah, like, you're murdering people. Like, he's not concerned with the fact that he's bleeding out. If he somehow survives this, he is going to jail for life. No, what he's concerned with is his parents are going to be mad. Right. Yeah, that's that's a very I mean, that's like a toddler. Yeah. It's a great moment in that movie, though. And I love how we're able to bring Scream into No One Will Save You. One, because I love Scream, and I think it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Same. But there is that there is that connection of kids not thinking of consequence. They haven't learned that yet. Like, as an adult, I know if I hit my annoying coworker, I'm probably going to be fired. Yeah. That would be a consequence. Sometimes I entertain uh, just dealing with the cost. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, I mean, I, I could do, I could, you know, that might be like two years. I could serve two years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could handle that. Oh my God. No, I assure you, my band has played at a prison before. And as far away as we can stay from one of those we're all better off that that was intimidating anyways side tangent <laughs> oh no worries i'm uh i always appreciate hearing stories of the jailhouse rock okay i had to do a little elvis uh <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> something about no one will save you i think we have to talk about and i think we've touched on it but we have to like talk about it is okay. how good caitlin dever is in this movie oh, she's amazing I don't think this movie works without her. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about someone who carries a film merely through facial expressions and body language and just reacting to things happening without speaking, without saying, I'm feeling this way. You know how she's feeling because of her body language and facial expressions. I mean, that's crazy. If I did that movie, it would be the most boring movie of all time because <laughs> I would have to be like, oh, I'm scared right now. To let the audience know. He doesn't have to be forward or literal about any of that. You can tell what she's feeling at all times based off of her facial expressions. Really yeah. good. Yeah. If it was me, I would just look into the camera and be like, I think that's an alien. <laughs> um my God, it's like sling blade. Mm-hmm. That, that's an alien. That's an alien also. <laughs> But no, she Here's an interesting thing I wanted to bring up and see what yeah, your yeah. thoughts on it were <clears throat> the juxtaposition between how the townspeople are in the beginning of the film to the very end of the film, where in the beginning, everybody seems very standoffish or even cruel mm -hmm. to Bryn. And then at the end, everybody's waving and so 
nice and welcoming. And my theory about that is that both of those were just based off of how she felt internally. So if someone feels, if somebody's struggling internally and they have a negative outlook and they feel a lot of shame and guilt, you're going to view everybody you meet under that umbrella yeah and through that filter you're every interaction you have you're gonna think oh that person doesn't like me that person probably knows what i did you're gonna read into it in a negative way so that's why i think when we are introduced to all the townspeople early on we see them that way because that's how she's perceiving them even if they weren't interacting with her in that way and then at the end when she has faced her demons and healed in a way from the trauma she's free and then her interactions with people are all positive that's my theory about that i don't know if you had a different theory well it's funny because i think this film is such a strong it has such a strong thematic narrative like it's it's plot and its theme are so woven together that I think the theme just kind of bleeds out literally in the film sometimes to which I'm trying to say you're absolutely right I think that was an intention of the theme from the filmmakers because that's that is how it works but something I noticed re-watching it today is mm -hmm. at the end that the other townspeople have the parasites in their throats right yep so they're literally possessed by the aliens so on a literal level they're only waving because everyone except for caitlin deaver's taken over by the aliens but then you yeah. peel back the layers and it's like oh it's her mindset and i think we could even go deeper you know yeah 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 because that that's what i figured most people would have taken it as which could be right that it's just they're only behaving that way because they have the parasite and it could be no deeper than that but yeah i just felt like if i was thinking about the intention of the filmmaker it seemed like it was supposed to be a result of her dealing with her trauma and then maybe even seeing that everybody else has a parasite is just being like hey look not only did you have this trauma that you had to work through and heal from everybody else is also struggling with their own demons yeah i think you're absolutely right I, I really and i don't know at all if that was what they intended that to be if they wanted people to interpret it that way but that's how it struck me and i like it so i'm well, going with that <laughs> <laughs> well inter interpretations are different with everybody but i do yeah. think i do think the filmmakers made this film with like subtext in mind like it is open to interpretation oh, yeah. and but i think it's so thematically strong it's not a movie like i'll be very careful because i don't want to piss anyone off it's not a movie like spider-man no way home or star okay. wars the rise of skywalker or jurassic world really any of them um <laughs> where there's not much underneath the surface it's right you're mostly... like it's just yeah what you see is what you get right like spider-man no way home has like the deepest is it goes is with great power comes great responsibility and in my head i'm like is that real is that the is that the movie or is that just the character is that not what all spider-man movies theme is but that that's a whole different conversation but a movie like that i mean spider-man no way home is a huge success it didn't need to be much deeper than it was because people loved it and i get it it's a crowd-pleasing movie but a movie like this 
no one will save you, you can read it as like a literal way and be perfectly content. But then there is like layers upon like we're talking about how the juxtaposition between her in the beginning, her at the end. We show we see that character growth. We see a character who has been able to come out on the other side of her guilt-based trauma through the metaphor of the alien. And we also can look at it as a way of like examining human perseverance. Cause like the aliens keep testing her because she's the one that keeps fighting back. She's the one that doesn't stand down. And the aliens are like what the fuck is this bitch's problem something yeah well it's, it's kind of on that same point like that kind of persistent nature of them coming kind of little by little and antagonizing her more and it i i noticed it always happened at night which really tied into the idea of them just uh symbolizing somebody's internal struggles because usually that's the time where people are alone with their thoughts like the hustle and bustle of the everyday routines has kind of dissipated and you're alone in your own little world and things that you might bury beneath your schedule now creep out and you are forced to confront them unless yeah. you distract yourself or just sleep or so I, I kind of thought that might have been intentional too that they always came at night and it was kind of with growing aggression like this yeah. like this inside of her wanted to be dealt with and and at first it's just like your standard gray alien yeah then you see the variations of that gray alien then you see the parasite and then we see the caitlin dever double like her doppelganger yeah, yeah yeah who literally stabs her she has to confront her own self yeah and then it's not until all of that does she do the aliens make her confront the past and it's like yeah. that's kind of like when you're like when you have nights where you're laying there in bed overthinking everything eventually you get to you start thinking about a moment like that and you either like try and ignore it or maybe sometimes you confront it but yeah i think that's a really good point yeah and that whenever she has her doppelganger there and kills that version of herself that's the most on the nose moment too where you're like this is definitely about confronting parts of yourself and becoming free of them yeah that's when that kind of became the most clear that that was the director and writer's intention i think I think no one will save you is a first. I think uh, the writer is the director. I think Brian Duffield both wrote yeah. and directed this one. So cool. that makes things a little easier because <laughs> it's the same mind. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think no one will save you might be like one of the clearest. Uh, this is the theme of the movie because we're able to get all this and like maybe three or four words were spoken the whole time. Yeah, the fact that we're able to sit here contemplating and discussing and pondering the film and there was no dialogue. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think this movie gains inspiration from the great alien invasion or alien movies of the past. Namely, I'm thinking of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. Which you've seen that, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I always want to make sure. But the scene where the aliens are abducting the three-year-old Barry... Yes, yep, yep, yep. Not a horror film, but that is one of the scariest movie scenes in a non-horror movie. 
it kind of i mean it kind of has the same thing going on as war of the worlds i mean that same like teetering of between being a horror film or just being a sci-fi film steven spielberg really knows how to straddle that line <laughs> yeah for sure oh my god jurassic park now i will I, I will say jurassic park i think is an actual horror movie i get when people say it's not scary because like yeah i get that People but, kids just think dinosaurs are cool. So whenever you see what would typically be the monster, the, instead of the kids hiding under their pillow, they're like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. But like, I think it's like a perfect kids horror movie. Yeah. And like no one will save you. Jurassic Park is also really strong and it's multiple themes. Jurassic. Oh, well, we'll be here another two hours if you get me on the Jurassic Park tangent because i <clears throat> i love that movie so much um and there is so many themes like man versus god what it means to be a like taking responsibility as a parent there jurassic parks i'm not going to say jurassic park is underrated because that is not true that is one of the biggest movies of all time and a lot of people's favorite movies it's not underrated in the slightest but what i am going to say i don't think it gets enough credit for its writing okay that's fair I think it gets, I mean, it is one of the greatest visual effects movies ever made. Obviously, Steven wow. Spielberg directed the hell out of it. The John Williams score for Jurassic Park, everyone knows that. So all those elements, you know, and the puppets, like the animatronics to make the dinosaurs and That's, the cast. By, by the way, I much prefer whenever, like when I'm thinking about Jurassic Park, when I'm thinking about the original Star Wars, it's so much more effective to make puppets and animatronics. I mean, that yeah. is so much more effective whenever i see a movie with an abundance of cgi and green screens used i'm like oh nothing is i can't get past that like my brain is just like none of that is there like none they're not interacting yeah. with anything can do you know what i mean like i can't get yeah past no that. i get that i get that a lot of like i think i think the marvel movies get a lot of flack for that because it is like a lot of the actors aren't even wearing suits they're wearing green screen mocap suits so they can have so they can make changes up until the release date and we Man. you and me we grew up with the sam raimi spider-man movies like make the green goblin armor make the spider-man um yep, that's what i'm saying like tony mcguire that that second spider-man movie with uh yeah. toby mcguire that hit me in the feels and i felt like that to me that's my favorite spider-man movie and that, you know they use cg for that like well of course Doc yeah, Ock and spider-man are fighting on a train they're cg like it's fine uh, yeah 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 but when sam Ra like when you when he does a close-up on the tentacle arms that's a puppet they actually made a spider-man suit yeah it's so much more effective it is and the new Jurassic World movies aren't especially liked, especially the last one. But I will give the last one a lot of credit because they built a lot of those dinosaurs. Okay. I haven't seen it. You could skip it. But if you ever <laughs> if you ever decided to watch it, there is a lot of great animatronic. I mean, there's a bunch of CGI for sure, but there is some real really good animatronic work in there as well i don't hate the movie the way everyone else does but it is the worst jurassic park movie <laughs> <laughs> I, love that. I don't hate this movie even though everybody else does but it is the absolute worst it, i mean it is like i'm sorry 
But at the same time, like, I think there's some good stuff in there. I think there's some bad okay. stuff in there, but I do think there's some good stuff in there that deserves some praise. And I think like the, the animatronic work in that film was really well done. Okay. So it has some redeeming qualities. I, I can think of a redeeming quality for most movies. I'm not a critic. <laughs> right, right. That is not my job. There's a great, I just, anytime someone brings up critics, there's a great um, Ernest Hemingway quote, which is critics are the people that stand on the top of a hill during the battle and then come down and kill survivors, something like that. But I just think that's so epic. Yeah. <laughs> what a great uh, quote. And we can, we could get on another long tangent about that. <laughs> one, one thing I wanted to say that I, sure. circling back to Close Encounters. Okay. I like whenever movies, specifically horror movies, show the time on like someone's alarm clock or something. And that's when weird shit starts happening mm. because that, that translates into your life where you, you might wake up in the middle of the night and you'll see what time it is. And you're like, oh, something weird is about to happen yeah and you feel like, like uneasy uh, yeah like 333 in that movie and I, i'm pretty sure paranormal activity which you mentioned earlier it doesn't yeah. do the same time repeatedly but just showing you the time that will stick in your head and you'll wake up in the, in the middle of the night and you're, you're like oh my god it's 2 14 a.m something weird is going to happen because that's what time it was in the movie i like that whenever they plant seeds for ways to terrify you in your actual life <laughs> i wonder like if day. i wonder if no one will save you looked at the clock because it had a lot of those nighttime scenes and i oh. literally watched it today i don't remember though because I, I wasn't paying attention for that but mm. that is a thing you're right i love that yeah and i and i feel like that's why they do it because they're like i want people to look at their clock or their watch or phone now and see that time and get that like spook yeah and that initial attack, like the first attack um, in No One Will Save You, that reminds me a lot of the Barry scene in Close Encounters because like a lot of like, like when the toys are moving and then like the oven's going up, like everything's oh, being, yeah. Yeah. and then they kind of do the same thing in this movie. And then like the one TV's doing the poltergeist static, I guess it's just normal TV static, but. My brain no, will always was, think of Poltergeist. Yeah, <laughs> it was doing some crazy shit. And I actually thought that was funny that that was the first thing she thought to handle. She was like trying to turn it off with the remote. She was so concerned. She was like, I have to get this TV off. <laughs> Everything is going off. Like all the lights are going. Music is going. She's like, I got to yeah. get the TV off. I actually, if that were me, knowing that the thing was already in the house, I would have liked that all that shit was going on because I would have thought, oh, it's going to confuse that thing as well. And it won't be able to hear my every movement. You know, that leads us that leads us to the titular question of the show. If you found yourself in this situation, you're home alone, okay. and the, the no one will save you aliens are invading your house, would you die? And I would consider being possessed by the parasite like a death. Right. So if we if we remove the whole metaphor, which I think that is really discussing someone's own internal struggle, and yeah. in which case getting the parasite is actually a positive thing because that's kind of you confronting everything. So take that all away and think about yep. it literally like yep. aliens and a parasite. 100%, I would have just been out of there if I could. Like I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been like lingering around the house at all or trying to hide in the house. I'm someone who's just like, 
I'll break this fucking window, whatever's closest to me, and just squeeze out. And if I die in the process of doing that, then I die. <laughs> so I, I would be like, let me get the fuck out of this house as soon as possible and just run and run and run and run and run. And, you know, I think you might live because that is basically Caitlin Dever's playbook for a little bit because she runs. That, that, yeah, she, she, she does a lot of running in this movie. True. She she hides at first when she's because she yeah. doesn't have like a clear way out of the house. And I don't think she knew what she was dealing with. I no. think that was a big motivation for her as well. Yeah. I, I, but I will say this. So th that's the contrasting point for me is not knowing what I'm dealing with is even going to be more incentive for me to get the fuck out of there. As soon as <laughs> <possible>. <laughs> that is fair. That is very fair. Right. The, if I had a better understanding, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't get any better if I was like, oh, it's just really aggressive, violent aliens. That wouldn't help matters. I would still have the same reaction. Be like, I got to get the fuck out of here. But yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I would wait around to find out their intentions or if they were dangerous. Yeah, I'm a goner. You, you think you're dead? Well, here's the thing. If I if I'm at home alone and an alien intrudes in my house, I'm gonna be like the fucking three year old from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I'm be like toys, and I will go right to the alien ship. <laughs> I will say this first off. In regards to aliens that have the ability to travel through space, most likely by manipulating gravity and the fabric of space-time. Any beings that have figured all that out and are that advanced technologically, I don't think would have malicious intent or be imperial imperialistic or anything like that. Like weak human behaviors, I don't think they would possess any of. I think they will have transcended all of our we're infants as a species in my eyes and we have childish behaviors that they would have transcended past so that's first off then let's discount that let's say they are aggressive and have dangerous aggressive intents let's say they are and they also have all those technological capabilities i don't think i have any say in how the interaction goes <laughs> <laughs> like it, because I think they understand something about the uh, reality and the the broad picture that I don't, and anything they want to happen will happen. So it's interesting. So, so either way, I, I think I'd be fucked. <laughs> That's what I'm really getting at. That's fair. That is fair. Well, it's interesting because it really kind of poses like existential questions because I think you do bring up a good point where it's like if there is a like beings out there that have mastered space time travel, they would have grown past their violent, malevolent tendencies. But what if they don't? Because like when you look at our history and I think you're right, we're still young as a species but we have accomplished miracles we have achieved flight we have split the atom we've have rock and roll <laughs> but like it's if you if you think about it like when you take a picture you are capturing light particles in a specific moment to keep a memory forever that is a miracle people don't view it's so normalized that people don't view it that way anymore i mean people take selfies of like what they're having for brunch and all sorts of, but anyways that's a whole nother tangent within my tangent within a tangent what i guess i'm trying to say is i don't i don't know if having intergalactic travel would necessarily make a species more benevolent seeing our progression we split the atom and we made a bomb 
we yeah, learned to sure. fly and we use we used it to bomb <laughs> yeah i see i feel like i feel like those advancements we've made which then we turn into detrimental advancements right utilizing them in terrible ways i think they're still so small picture compared to the scope of what's to come or what is possible and we're literally infants in, in the grand scheme of everything that yeah. whatever they're some entity that's out in outer space and they understand manipulating gravity reaching that i mean you're talking about rewriting all the physics books and i just i i, I not only would i find it extremely hard to believe that they possess any of humans weakest traits i would be extremely disappointed <laughs> i would be that so is fair but and also a, a real quick point is yeah if you go back if you could go back a hundred years i think you and i would both rather live now oh yeah and if people that lived a hundred years ago could go back 200 years i think they would rather live then and, and and you could keep doing that and the reason for that is that anybody would rather live in their present time period than a century or two before them is because humans are becoming more and more compassionate as our brains evolve i, I mean I and, see and our social yeah. structures were becoming much more inclusive compassionate understanding of one another understanding the world around us more so it's becoming a more pleasant place to live. And I think that trajectory is going to continue in a scope that we can't even quite comprehend right now. And that's why if I extrapolate and think about some beings out in the distance or out in a different dimension who have technological capabilities that would rewrite all of our physics books, I, I, I just would find it so hard to believe that they would be warmongering or imperialistic, or jealous, or reacting emotively, and killing somebody because they're jealous about a relationship thing. I don't know. Like, just think about all the weakest and darkest aspects of human nature. I think they will have outgrown all of that. Just a personal opinion. I obviously have no fucking idea what's Well, happening. no. <laughs> but that's why it's so fun to talk about. And right, like, obviously, yeah. I'm I'm just talking out my ass. But like, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's so hard to tell because I will always, me being a human, believe it or not, I will approach it thinking it. as a human and to think of what, like other, an other being that is not a human being have completely different thought processes, completely different emotions. They will perceive everything way different than we could ever hope to perceive something. So it's it's really interesting, really interesting to think about. And I don't remember who, where I heard this it was a podcast or a YouTube show or something. But I remember someone made the point where it's like if there is like an alien species that captured space um, or they mastered space time travel and they know about us, they're probably staying like way the fuck away from us. They don't want to deal with our bullshit. And I'm like, that is both probably very true and really sad. <laughs> yeah, that is. Well, I, I've thought about that before. And I would I would view that less as like, oh, they're barbarians. We got to stay away from them. I would view that like 
like them stumbling upon us and seeing we're at such a low stage in the process of wherever we're going because maybe their history and their own evolution right. towards where they are is similar to ours maybe they were they had similar behaviors so they look at us and they're like oh they're still at that point like let's let them be because yeah. it's definitely i think duncan trussell i don't know if you know who he is or if you're into him mm -hmm. he was talking about how if we went into the 1600s and we just dropped all of the information we have now and all of the technology we have now we were just like this is our understanding of the world in 400 years guys uh so you're gonna have to reshape your entire society everything would just collapse because it'd yeah. be like our whole understanding of how we function and the jobs that everybody has they just became obsolete because you guys dropped all these advancements on us at once it wouldn't surprise me if some really advanced beings look down at us are like oh th they're at that point okay they're not ready for us to interact with them in a direct way right now because it would cause calamity that wouldn't surprise us yeah but yeah no so I, many I different did that. like little branches you can go with because i think aliens could be us time traveling mm. beings no no it is really it is really fascinating to think about super like you look it's like the most fascinating thing to think about man it's so fun so and and if we're talking about our experience that is all that, that like starts to rattle my brain a little bit because you can feel imprisoned within yourself which ties back to no one will save you because clearly yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you're constantly aware that the reality you experience is only your subjective self and you will never be able to tap into i mean that's probably why we're so drawn to music and films and yeah. paintings and creative endeavors because that's the closest we can get to experiencing the subjective reality of others because all creation and art is is externalizing our subjective selves in the most potent way and moving way we can that was beautiful and <laughs> no, I, 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 think I, I really out. think I really think that was beautiful. And that's where we're going to end this episode, because I, I don't know, I could, I don't know, bring up Nightmare on Elm Street or something, but it wouldn't just <laughs> it wouldn't be the same, you know, like that. And I love how no one will save you led us into a really philosophical and existential conversation. I'm all about existential conversations. We're on a speck of dust hurtling through a black void. Yep. So if we're not talking about how strange everything is, I don't know what we're doing. All right. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna let you plug your band real quick. But I just got to say, the ending of, of Men in Black, where it's like our galaxy is in like the alien, the giant alien playing marbles. Yeah. <laughs> I think about that. All, that is my Roman Empire. <laughs> I love it. I just love the idea of thinking about you just saying, I think about that. Like just cutting it off there. You know, you know, the end of Men in Black. I think about that. Yep, I do. <laughs> it is truth. That is truth. So observe the 93rd. Where can people find your band and where they where can they find you? Too many places, to be honest. There's too many platforms. <laughs> too much. Honestly, if they make another one, I'm I'm not doing it. I'm just going to be like, look. I have to have a cutoff, but you know, we're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. The main ones we use are Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, but our music is everywhere. 
all the normal digital distribution platforms like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, blah, blah, blah. So talk to your to your robot that's in your room and say, hey, can you play Observe the 93rd? And we, we should pop up. Hell yeah. This has been a great conversation. I loved everything. Yeah, this is super fun. I appreciate yeah. you having me on to do this. This is uh, a switch up compared to most like interviews that we get in regards to marketing music. It's nice just to have a conversation about some unrelated things, which I'm also passionate about. This one being films. Hell yeah. And this was a great time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And yeah, everyone, check out their new album. I'll do the marketing for you. <laughs> Eternalism. Oh, oh yeah. I should yeah. probably okay. say the name of the album. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, that's the other part. We did release an album called Eternalism. It's my favorite thing we've ever done. It ties into this conversation because I talk a lot about ghosts and UFOs and aliens. And there's a whole way that if you look up what eternalism is, it's the theory of time that the past, present, and future all exist at once. They're all equally real. And so I kind of tie in aliens, UFOs, and ghosts to that concept. That's awesome. Everyone listen to it. It There's bangers on it. I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed it. So, And once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate you a lot, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Derek for joining me today and for really going on a journey with me. This episode was a blast and I hope you guys had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it as well. If you like this show, please let me know. Leave a review and rate on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to this show. Also, feel free to interact with me on the social medias. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tiki Taki, wherever you're most comfortable. It may not seem like a lot, but trust me, every single like, share, comment, follow, whatever, it all helps this podcast grow and helps me keep going. And feel free to let me know how I'm doing. What do you like about the show? What are some areas I can improve on? What are some guests, guests you'd like me to try and have on the show and monsters or topics you want me to talk about? Let me know what you guys think. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo code WouldYouDieShow for 20% off your entire order. You can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WouldYouDieShow. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at WouldYouDiePodcast. Would You Die is a partner with the Three Wise Men Media, a Metro Detroit-based group of awesome guys, Kyle, Tyler, and Dylan, where they bring you professional wrestling, independent comic books, and so much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Stay tuned to my socials. Big announcements coming soon. I've been working hard on bringing you guys some really cool shit, and I'm really excited to share once all that stuff is ready. Next week will be a big special episode featuring not one, not two, but three guests to talk about an upcoming indie horror film, including two names that fans of Would You Die are definitely familiar with. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.